I'd like to show you why knowing your why is the start of your journey. Without a strong why, it can be so difficult to reach your maximum potential. My name is Dr. Jason Ballara, and every week I meet with real estate investors and mindset specialists that are taking action in order to build a life according to their own terms. We will break down what drives successful people and allows them to achieve at such a high level. If you are a professional wanting to break through, or simply someone that wants to hear an inspiring story, the Know Your Why podcast is made for you. Hi everyone, I'm Jason Ballara and this is the Know Your Why podcast. Today I'm here with Scott Crone. Scott's actually been on the podcast before, so I'm really excited to have you back, Scott, as a, uh, a repeat guest. So thank you so much for, for coming on the show. My pleasure. At least I wasn't called a repeat offender. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. No, always always a pleasure. Um, Scott, you know, you, you were here before, but but maybe um, can you just give us sort of a, a, a brief talk about your background and then and then really we'll just get into kind of what you've been doing since since the last time we talked. Absolutely. So um, I began in real estate getting my master's degree in architecture. And I was fortunate enough that my professor really wanted to have us work on his projects in, in our studio, which meant that I was working on real life things. And it turned out to be a 400 unit, $100 million project. And so uh, I worked for him in the morning in his office and then during class on the drawings and then at home <laughs> on more drawings. And so that was uh, for three years. And then I worked for him for another three years. And then 1998, I ventured out on my own and created Coda. And um, we began in single family, multifamily and mixed use. We've done churches as well. And then we've got, you know, the market crashed <clears throat> 08, 09 and everything changed. And everybody was trying to be forced into uh, multifamily because that's where lenders were going in that, that recessionary and market time. But we began investigating self-storage. So in 16, I sold off my... Um, or 17, I sold off my multifamily portfolio and began working exclusively on self-storage. And so we've been developing a self-storage brand, uh, uh, investment platform of different facilities across the Midwest. And in 2021, we actually launched our own brand, One Stop Self-Storage. And now we are about to be launching a blockchain with a, a tie to a store coin, which we created STOR. Um, so in, in order to help facilitate transactions on both the investor side, as well as the, the customer side. Well, that's fascinating. Um, how did you, how did you decide to go that route? I mean, what I've, and I, I will full disclosure, fairly ignorant in terms of blockchain and, and, uh, cryptocurrencies and things like that. I, I don't understand how it all works exactly. And I've stayed kind of away from it for that reason. But what what is your like what what made you decide to sort of head that direction? Well, I'm part of a mastermind group of uh, self storage investors, and and one of the uh, members of the of the group is um, a very diverse and incredibly intelligent and, and talented individual. And so he was the one who began, you know, always talking about investing in in coin and this and that. So during one of our our mastermind sessions, I pulled them aside and said, help me understand blockchain. Help me understand coins. What is this really tied to? Because I, I was like, how can you have a coin that's not tied back to something tangible, something hard that, you know, if it, it's going up or down, you don't, it, it, the volatility, you know, what, what's the market relationship? 
So, you know, and I was equating it back to the stock market, you know, or, or currency, you know, currency is always tied back to some basis um, because the way I understood it is if you're mining for a coin, then you could just create an endless supply and therefore it was devaluing deflation, you know, was devaluing the rest of the coins. And so he, he quickly cleared up a lot of questions for me. So blockchain is, I think is really where at least title companies are going to go in the, in the future. And that's why I think that this is a revolutionary thing that we're on the front end of and implementing it into self-storage investing. So blockchain is, is literally a contract that you set up. And when all of those different requirements in the contract are met, then the contract is dispersed and then it's forever saved across a network of uh, computers. And so it's impossible to, you know, penetrate that contract if you don't want it to be. So you could you could click create a blockchain saying, for instance, we were going to have um, this podcast at this time on this Zoom call. And, um, you know, it's going to be recorded this day and it's going to be dispersed on this time. And so when all those things happen, then the blockchain is fulfilled and then the file is then saved across a thousand different um, servers. And if you wanted people to be able to access it, you could give them the code and they could access it. And if they didn't want people to see the, this podcast, then they wouldn't be able to see it. It would be secure. So if you think about a, a real estate transaction that happens at a title company, you have a contract. And in part of the contract, it says you're going to have this type of financing, this type of due diligence, this type of you know results. And when all those things happen, then the money is transferred from one entity and the title is transferred to the other entity. So that is in essence a contract, right? That that would go into a blockchain. And the difference is I think the reason why it's all going to go towards that is because of the security and the level of encryption and all those different things. And so also being able to tie back to those records. So that's why I believe that's the direction of it. And so the idea of this blockchain that's being created is that all of these transactions for purchasing and investing in real estate deals will happen through the blockchain. And it gives, when you create a blockchain, the byproduct is a coin. And so we're, we've named the coin store. So as people invest in the blockchain, so if they have coin and they're converting it into store and investing in it, they can take a non-tangible coin asset in crypto and tie it back to a tangible real estate asset. And that's what we're trying to do is create an investment tool where people will be able to take either crypto or dollar and convert it and then be able to invest it. Now think about it. Anybody across the entire world could then invest in, in, in a specific transaction. On top of that, when they have the coin, if someone wanted to pay for their rent, they could use the coin to pay for the rent. Or if they build up points, then they can get points on coins and then use that as a credit for their self-storage rent. And if they move from one facility that is in this program to the next, they can transfer their coin or their interest from one facility to the next without having to go through anything. And so that is the, the benefit of it, or that's what we're looking to do. And as the value of the asset rises, then the value of the coin will rise. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And and I think um, it's it's a great explanation. I think the, the, this is, I've heard similar, you know, sort of similar conversations regarding like Bitcoin and things like that, just other, other blockchain technologies. And 
one of the things that that always gets mentioned and and I'm really just kind of playing devil's advocate but but is that it's a it's that it's secure can't you know sort of been told it can't be hacked all all of that um and yet I feel like we just found out very recently that that's not true and and it, it seems like anything can be hacked how do you I guess it being tied to when you tie it to real estate I, I would assume maybe that's the more that what's that's what makes it more secure uh, in the sense that there is an actual tangible asset is that is that kind of the, the thought process there and again I, I'm really <laughs> is a, out of my league in terms of uh, knowledge on this but but can you talk about kind of the security of it and how how you would combat that sort of you know any of that being being hacked and and someone having you know suddenly changing changing this contract to say that I own the self storage facility. Well, I think it's it's like any other consumer fraud, right? That if you you have the documentations to prove that you have the you know one the transaction they occurred on, and you have the the other things that back it up, right? And those are across different spectrums as well. So it as as the blockchain is dispersed, it's not all in one location. So I think what we see is that. Um, when there's a hacking going on, it's attacking one server and then they can get into the network and go after it. The idea of the blockchain is that there's only a fragment of that file that is located in that one server. The rest of the fragments of the files are in different servers. So can it be hacked? Okay. Um, is it less probable to get the entire file? More than likely because of the fact that it's in, across a lot of different um, servers. And only the blockchain is able to bring all those things back into one complete file. So it, you know, when when we were building homes and when we're working with people, people say like, well, or having a conversation in terms of family succession and planning, right? Like, well, if I die, right? Or if my sump pump fails, <laughs> or you know, or you know, this or that. I'm like, hold on a second. First of all. It's mechanical. It's not if, or, you know, it's not if you die, it's when you die. And right. it's not if your sump pump fails, it's when your sump pump fails. Like, what are these backups? What are these other things that we have to make sure that it's, that there's redundancy, that there's things to protect your, your investment, you know? And if you think about, you, you invest a lot in your home you put a lot in your basement. So you're protecting your investment. So is anything perfect that man makes? No, nothing is perfect. But is, can we make sure that we have done enough or gone beyond what we could possibly can think of in order to protect ourselves? And I think that's what the idea of blockchain is. Very cool. When you, so I, again, another thing that I've sort of heard is with this, this allows you to make an, what would typically be an illiquid investment liquid because people can transact using the using the blockchain using that that technology while it's still in sort of the hold time of an asset is that uh is that one of the the benefits that you would you would describe or do you they would use the coin so they would yeah. use the coin to complete the transaction and then it's recorded in the blockchain so the the coin becomes the currency by which the blockchain is facilitated so, and and I guess maybe just to clarify what I'm saying here, in a typical syndication, for example, it, it, with 
your you have your funds and, and if someone invests then they're not typically really able to leave that investment without a lot of you know serious legal implications uh during the hold time of that investment but with the coin the thought process is that they if they wanted to you know sort of sell their shares in that investment they they could yeah and i think that it gets into the nuances of that contract so what is offered yeah. so if the sponsor says hey we will allow this to happen then it could happen if a sponsor says hey you can't then then that's going to be the nuance of each individual deal right but it does give you the person the flexibility of saying hey we can offer this um you know, I think there has to be a stopgap because what if everyone says I'm, I'm liquidating my my store coin and I'm, I want out? You know, how does that transpire if everyone's dumping it and then you have this physical asset, right? So the only way to liquidate it would be to sell it. So I think it, the nuances of that is from deal to deal and, and from situation from situation. Okay. How does this impact your investors? Is this suppose you put together a deal would you be able to can you take different type can you take coin and also cash within these investments or does it have to be one or the other no i think it would give people the ability to do either one and but the other side of it is that you can structure the investment either as the debt vehicle or the equity vehicle within the coin so there, there's a lot of there's a lot of flexibility within the program, depending on how it, how the whole thing is structured or how it's presented. And that's, you know, one of the unique factors of it. You could do, in essence, I mean, I'm just using a, 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 a generalized term that people are familiar with, like crowdfunding. You could do a crowdfunding to create the debt instrument. I, it, it, again, it's just, a little bit beyond me. I, I I love that conceptually, I love a lot of those things. I love that you, you know, the idea of, of some of these things that you you can do with coin rather than that you couldn't do with sort of typical trans cash transactions. Um, but I I wish that I understood it a little bit better. With, with is is your idea that you're going that the do you think that's kind of the way that the world is moving? is towards this type of transacting or is it just an ancillary thing to to regular transactions with cash no i i think it's, it's definitely the way it's going i mean um <laughs> you know it, it it's the new currency right i mean how my kids don't even carry a wallet anymore because they have a phone and they just tap things and you know all these transactions are digital and they they don't know what the value of cash, right? In terms of CIF, when we always, my football coach would say when he was selling the sweatshirt, CIF, cash and fist. Um, you know, so it is it is the new direction. I mean, I think that, you know, how many transactions are occurring now outside of the normal trans, you know, the normal, I would say 1990, 2000 transaction. I mean, in all of our facilities, we're trying to go cashless. You know, we're trying to make people pay either credit card or a check and, you know, pr preferably, you know, credit card, we make sure we get the transaction so the cash, the check doesn't bounce. So in each of these things, you know, we're, we're looking to make systems um, more routine, more repeatable and, you know, with less hiccups with them. With, with this, it, how, how do you see this? Do you see this being a... Uh, part of your business, you know, sort of real estate and 
blockchain technology as one or two separate business paths that you can combine together? What's what's your vision of your own, you know, your business and your future? Well, the blockchain is just simply a tool, right? Yeah. So it's no different than saying, hey, we're, we're going to accept payments from Venmo, right? Um, that is a tool in which we still facilitate the real estate. So first and foremost, I'm a real estate developer. That's not changing. <clears throat> but if we can use a tool in order to help build and grow our, our business, then we're going to utilize that tool. And <clears throat> the flip side is, you know, let, let's take it back a second. If, if we were just um, a simple self-storage facility and say, hey, we're only taking cash, then, you know, we across the country, we'd have to have banking system that we could have in every single one of our cities so that, you know, our employees could go in there and deposit the check and we'd have to have some way of, or the cash, and then we'd have to have some way of verifying that the cash was accurate, that it wasn't, you know, stuck to someone's finger on their way to the bank and they didn't deposit all of it. You know, so these are all different ways in which we're raising the level of transparency. We're raising the level of accountability within the whole program to ensure that these things are done properly, you know, and that I think that's, and if we didn't have those systems, I mean, there's a reason why these systems were all being created is to make sure that these transactions weren't, you know, they're being done as well as possible and accurately as possible. Great. That's great. I mean, it, it does, it does really seem to offer a, a broader range uh, for people to, you know, sort of be, be a part of, be a part of an investor as an investor. And, and also, I guess, you know, they can, pay for the service that way. So um, it does, it does open up that, that picture quite a bit. Um, what uh, on the, on the real estate side, what do you got going on right now? How's your um, portfolio looking? What, uh, what kind of growth have you seen over the last year with, especially with the way the economy has gone? Well, we, we bought a facility in um, Jackson, Michigan. And um, so um, it was an existing facility and we're, you know, bringing more automation to it. So when we bought it, um, the owner literally had everything in a notepad and his entire ledger was in a notepad. We had to, you know, Xerox it in order to do due diligence. And he was running off a flip phone. And so, you know, we've brought a lot of automation to the facility, including, you know, a gate that you have to hit your pin code to get in and, you know, raising the level of security there. Um, we've also closed on a property in uh, Bay City, Michigan, where we're going to be developing and we're under contract with another facility in that, you know, proximity so that we can combine the two. Um, we're uh, developing in um, Louisville. So that project of the construction has begun and that's a mixed use flex warehouse space as well as self-storage. And then we're also uh, own a facility in, in Cleveland, which we're going to be developing. Fantastic. That sounds like a, a great year in, in the face of what uh, a lot of people have been facing uh, with, with the market going uh, interest rates going up, the market getting tighter. Um, where do you, you put on your your crystal ball or your <laughs> for a minute? Where, what do you see? And 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 I guess speak to self storage because I think you know obviously every asset class is, is individual. So where do you think things are going here over the next six to twelve months, maybe even twenty four months? Um, and and maybe I mean you can compare it to to what you think is going to happen in multifamily, but I'd be be curious what your your thought process is on on where we're going. Well, back in March, I was I was presented with an award, and I I presented this topic in in Las Vegas that we were entering into a recession, and I compared it to 1979, and you know, 
a lot of people are like, oh, no, the housing market's great. You know, look at the, and I go, that's one of the key indicators. And there's this overwhelming, you know, bubble that is brewing within it. Now, what's interesting is that the, the you know, I, I fully believe we're in a recession. So, and I, I believe we've been in it. Um, and I, you know, I look at, when I, when I look at politics, I look at the historical patterns of the political landscape and how it impacts the economy. So not necessarily whether I believe in one person's or another's party's politics, but how does the politics and the political makeup impact the economy? Does that make sense? Yeah. So back in, in 1980, when we had like, you know, everyone thought the economy was horrible. Like if you, you know, you can go back and watch Miracle, you can see, you know, people waiting in line for gas, you know, for gas. And, you know, inflation was, you know, we had stagflation and, and people's homes were trading because of the mortgages, not because of the real estate market, because the, the, they had this great loan on a 30-year loan that was an interest rate at 7%. And that was way better than what was being offered. So people would sell the home based upon the mortgage because people could afford more by owning that mortgage. Um, and so I went back and compared them side by side, like where we were and like gas, if, if I had, had asked you what you think the adjusted rate, the adjusted price for gas was in 1979 compared to today, what would you, what would you think the price would be? I live in California. So this is always, the price of gas is always a, a tricky question. Um, I mean, I, I'm guessing <laughs> because of the the tone of your question it's probably similar or higher than uh than it was now it's it's two dollars and 35 cents adjusted to today's dollar you know in chicago we got up to high as six seven dollars a gallon in california it was equally as high right yeah and so you know when we looked at unemployment when we looked at the rate of inflation all these factors were very similar to what i mean it was 10 different data points that were very similar to 1979 and what changed the 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 outlook of the economy was when Reagan came into power. He or the presidency. He changed not only the monetary policy but the fiscal policy. And right now, the imbalance of this recession is based upon the fact that our fiscal policy and our monetary policy are not in alignment, and we're spending lots of money, which then created this massive massive inflationary rate. And so we were seeing housing going up. We were seeing groceries going up. We were seeing you know we had supply chain and this and that. But a lot of it was also based upon how much money cash people had and were spending it. And, you know, we would see these huge prices increase in, in, in construction. And it was like everyone was saying, well, it was the cost of labor. And yet, if the cost of labor was so much higher, then why are people complaining about what they're paying at the gas? You know, so it didn't it didn't match up to me what was going on. And ultimately, the rate, the value of people's um pay did not increase the 300% that we saw in some pricing or, you know, doubling and this and that it was artificially inflated. Now we're seeing that, that pressure coming back down and, you know, the fed had to respond. So right now, the only thing that they could do is raise interest rates, which then automatically puts a, um, a break on construction. It puts a technical, you know, banks pull back, they want to risk less. There's less value in the marketplace because the people can't buy as much with the dollar. So naturally, the economy was, is going to slow down. And so we've been preparing for this in our product since 2008, 2009, when I saw this huge market crash because of it. And that's when I began getting into self-storage because I saw the resilience of it. Now, if we also look at the housing, there still is a shortage of housing. 
And I think that in certain markets, there's going to be um, demand for housing because there's just not enough housing stock. I think that is one of the pros that is in the economy is that we have to build housing because of the fact that there's more people than, but it's a matter of what they can afford. And so I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens within the marketplace. Um, we're already seeing um, home, new home construction change because of the people can't afford as much. Um, so there's less be permits being pulled, which is going to put more pressure on it. Um, so the fact that multifamily has been a historically low cap rate, I, you know, the imbalance right now is the cap rates are below the interest rates. So it's, it's impossible to make money on them within that yield. And so something's got to alter within that rate in order to adjust for it because of the fact that if, you know, there's always been historically a gap or a separation between the cap rate and the interest rates. And that's where investors make their money. Yeah. So what do you, it, do you think comparing, comparing cell storage to, to multifamily there? I mean, you can make it, I think there's an easier correlation to look at between, okay, we have a housing shortage. So maybe multifamily values don't drop a lot. What do you think? For, I mean, from a self storage standpoint, uh, it's always been. I mean, everybody says it's it's you know recessionary resistant. What what do you see happening specifically in self storage through this? You know, I, I I don't I don't think there's any reason not to call it a recession. <laughs> it <laughs> well, seems I, it, very much like one. Yeah, if it, if it feels like you know it looks like a duck and walks like a duck, right. then it's then it's probably a duck, right? <laughs> change the definitions, but ultimately, yeah, it's, uh, it's probably still a recession. So, right. what, what do you think on the self storage side? How do you how how does that get impacted? Well, you know, and people are comparing this quarter to last quarter of last year, and there is a slowdown. There there is a reduction, but that's what's in the last four major recessions. That's what we've seen. We've seen a slight decrease. And then an increase in occupancy, and so there's an adjustment. There's a fear factor of what's going on. People are re hesitant, re reacting, but then we're too early in the recession because the, the pain stuff hasn't really started yet. You know, in terms of having to refinance and having to work through different uh, loan options and this and that, um, those are, are are all real things that are becoming you know more fluid. And I I think that our banking system is set up better than it was in 2000 and 2008 and nine. Um, there was just so much layering going on within the debt structures that it created the crash, but I don't think we're anywhere near the same sort of thing. It's just a matter of all these loans are coming due now. And so, you know, how they relate to their debt coverage ratio. And I think that's going to be the bigger factor to see what happens with a lot of products on the marketplace. So in any market, you know, there's two types of investors, those that pull back and those that see an opportunity. And so, you know, we, we've been preparing for this opportunity to make sure that we can launch successfully and, and continue to develop our portfolio based upon the historical performances within self-storage um, in, in the marketplace. So that's, I mean, we've based our whole strategy on looking back historically and seeing, is it perfect? Is it, is it a crystal ball? No, but it gives us a pretty good indication of what's happening. Yeah. Well, and we had such... It was so, you know, sort of good, right? It was, you know, the the occupancy rates both in self-storage and multifamily were so high, higher, higher than normal. Prices were higher than normal. All of that growth was so big that, you know, some of what we're seeing is just almost a, a you know, return to the norm. Sure, it's a correction. Yeah, right. It, it's just, but, pe but because people who came in at that, you know, 
if they hadn't been doing it that long, came in right at the point where it was like everything was so great. That's all they had seen. And then, you know, but uh, you have the benefit of having, you know, kind of seen these up and downs. So it's a, uh, it's, it's a probably a lot, just a lot about perspective. Absolutely. And, and, you know, and we always say you're making money on the acquisition, not the sell. So you, you got to make sure that you're buying right. And it, it, to me, it doesn't matter if you're in a, in a strong market or a negative market or, you know, wherever, I mean, you still got to buy on the fundamentals, right? And if your, if your fundamentals aren't correct, then when there is a correction, you're going to be failing it. Um, that's just the nature of real estate in the markets. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, that I actually, that was a, a great sort of rundown on, on what's going on in the economy. I appreciate your, your perspective on that. Um, let me switch gears, Scott, so I can ask you the questions. And I asked you them last time, so we'll see. Maybe maybe your answers are the, <laughs> are the same, but uh, you know, think, things change. Um, so the first question, of course, is is what is your why? Um, I don't know if you have had any evolution there. Obviously, you're, you're sort of uh, introducing us to a new, um, at least, component to your business. So so what's your why? You know, what's driving you at this point? Well, things have changed. I mean, I, I'm now uh, my my youngest graduated early from high school and enrolled early in college so that she could um, train with her athletic team. So we're we're officially empty nesters. So our, you know um, why I can expand a little bit more into different areas and 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 broaden the breadth of our investment is because I have more time. You know, so it's a it's a matter of you know we're in a different stage of life, and you know so my why of why I'm choosing to do different things is altered because, you know, my kids are now becoming adults and they're adults. So it gives me a little bit more bandwidth, if you will. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, I, there's a, <laughs> I, it's funny uh, as a, as a parent with relatively young kids. Um, this day will come for you too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> years, years down the road. But, but the, the funny thing that I always, it strikes me is it's like, I thought I was busy before. Like I, th I thought life was pretty busy, and then we had kids, and I'm like, no, nah, it was. It was well, the way it was the really way I describe that before. is, you 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 know, when you get married, you realize how selfish you are, yeah. and then when you have kids, you realize how selfish you still are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a there's a whole lot that yeah, it just it really does change. I mean, back to perspective, it really does change what you know, kind of the outlook on everything, and 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 just. The amount of time is like, like, what did what did we do with all this time before? Like, what how 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 have we filled the day now with these children? And it's like, what do it's like impossible to find time before? It's like, what was I doing? Exactly. Um, so, young people without kids start start your business and investing uh, while you still have the time and, and use it wisely. Um, second question, Scott. Uh, Tell us something, uh, I guess maybe you just did, you're, you're an empty nester now, but something uh, just, you know, to let let the let the audience know you a little bit better. Um, well, you know, I, I've, I've enjoyed, you know, one of, one of the things that um, when we dropped off my daughter, the coach said, you know, when a lot of girls show up, they're not ready. And um, this one, she's ready. And I, and I took that as a huge compliment because it, it said I, I prepared my kids well and um, that they're ready to to be off on their own. And for me, what that really means is that we gave them opportunities to succeed as well as to fail. And, you know, we it wasn't that we propped them up. It wasn't that we were helicopter parents. It was more of the fact that, you know, 
for instance, my daughter, she said that she wanted to learn how to fly. So we gave her eight flying lessons for graduation. And everyone's like, you're flying? You know, she would, she didn't have to go report to school her senior year until like sometimes 12 o'clock. So she would go in the morning and fly and then fly up to Wisconsin and fly back and then walk into class. And she's like, you know what? I'm the probably only one in this room that was flying this morning. There's <laughs> <laughs> probably a pretty good chance of that. Yeah, pretty good chance, right? But the, the, the point is that she saw an opportunity. And, and, and granted, was, this was an $800 investment. It was an $800 gift. It wasn't like we spent hundreds of thousands of dollars for this to happen, right? Or thousands and thousands of dollars. But it was an opportunity for her to push her boundaries, to, to push herself to, to do something new that now when she goes into something, she has the confidence of saying like, I can handle this. You know, it, I, I can I can do this. And I think that that was our perspective on life. And that's my perspective is a lot of times, you know, I, I've been asked to speak at the ISS convention um, in April. And we're talking about starting your own third, you know, your own management company. And a lot of times we get bogged down with the idea of fear, like fear. And the biggest thing of starting something is overcoming the fear that I'm going to fail. Right. We, you might fail and you might succeed. But the biggest thing that prevents a lot of people from even trying is the fear of failure. And, you know, that is something that, you know, we all face and we all have to deal with. It's just a matter of how much we get used to trying. And the more we try, the less fearful it becomes. So that's something that we've always tried to implement with our kids and in our lives is constantly growing, constantly trying to improve and do things better. And that's, that's why we started our, our own management company. Cause we're like, this is not, you know, what we're seeing is not good enough. We got to do th these things better. You know, was there a big risk, huge risk, you know, and, and we're still working on, you know, developing it and, and making sure that it's done well. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I love that. I think that's a great, um, I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't know of any high school students that were, <laughs> that are flying. I mean, there must be some, but I mean, but that's, that's very unique. And, and, and it's a, it's a, it's a big deal. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's no simple, I think, no simple task to, to learn to fly and, and, and do that and, and be faced with such a, you know, a lot of high school students are just learning to drive a car and like, that's terrifying <laughs> that's... And, and they're not good at it and all, and, you know, here, here she's up, up in a plane. Um, what sport, well, the funny what sport story, my, her first flight, I'm in the back seat and I'm like taking a picture, like, <laughs> they let you fly like with them right away yeah so th this shows you the succession and, and and i told her i said look this plane is basically a go-kart with wings right. i mean it, it is so light it is it, so the first flight they had her hands on the the pedals and the stick and you know she was doing it with the instructor um and then they're practicing stalls like the first one like and the reason why you're practicing stalls is like when you have a problem in the car you just pull over right, right. You, you get a flat tire you know you just okay when you're in a plane and something goes wrong it's like you still have to get down right, right. So, right. so i'm like what do you mean we're practicing stalls and they're like going up and then, you know, so, wow. and i'm in the back just flopping around the second flight she's taking off and landing on her own so, I mean, that was the progression, Amazing. how quickly. And so um, within eight flights, she's flying to different cities and touching down and taking back off and going all around. So it's a, it's a quick learning process. That's really amazing. Um, wow. That's yeah. Very cool. Uh, what sport does she play? Give her she's a, a soccer player. So she's at TCU. She's playing soccer there. Awesome. Congratulations. 
um when people hear this and they want to reach out what's what's the best way i appreciate that and again like what we did in the past if if anyone wants to learn more about self-storage we're happy to if they want to email us happy to talk about with them if they think they have a good deal but if anyone mentions the show we will send them a deal analyzer for self-storage so they can compare it to multifamily or any other investment but it will also send them a feasibility study to say why we we chose to do a specific project but they can reach out to us at info at coda c-o-d-a mg.com that's info at coda mg.com great great um final question for you scott what what advice would you give to someone who is getting started uh in self-storage you can really take that however you want you've got daughter that just started college you, you have a lot of uh different angles you could go here <laughs> well i'm, I'm going to take it just starting off like you, you can take it back from self-storage or you know, um, any, any project, anything that you're, you're looking to do, um, you know, first of all, you need to, to really assess yourself, right? You know, are you willing to take the risks? And not everyone is cut out to be an entrepreneur. I, I truly believe that. Um, there's a lot of people that are, are uncomfortable with that. And, you know, perhaps you shouldn't be a, a business owner. That's fine. That's great. There's, there's roles for everybody in life. But if you're, if you really feel that you're, that that is your call that is your mission that you're set out to do that then find people that you can model your business after um you know fortunately when i first began as a ta um you know my professor i worked for him for six years you know i was in his business i got to see it so i i traded my time for you know a very small salary at that point in time because i i recognized it was a learning experience then as I was trying to grow my business beyond some some small little company in the northern part of Chicago to something as across the Midwest and across the, you know, the upper portion of the country right now, I sought out another mentor. And, you know, he's like, this is what needs to be done in order to develop a business that is scalable. And so, you know, I looked to be able to assist me with that. A lot of people think that you can read a blog and you can learn all that. Um, you know, those are great tools, but ultimately I think having a mentor, having someone that can help you through those processes equally as important. It's great advice. It's great advice. Um, Scott, thank you so much. Thanks for coming back on the show. Thanks for kind of sharing everything. Uh, uh, really excited for you for this, you know, sort of the new things you have going on, including, uh, being an empty nester. I mean, there's, there's a lot there to, to be, to be figuring out. So, um, very happy for you. Happy for your, for your daughter. That's awesome. Um, but yeah, thank you again for, for coming on. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, folks listening, uh, when you hear this, I'm sure you're going to, uh, love Scott and definitely reach out to him. But, um, if you enjoy the show, please like rate and review, and that will allow us to get more great guests like Scott. Thank you. I'd like to show you why knowing your why is the start of your journey without a strong why it can be so difficult to reach your maximum potential. My name is Dr. Jason Ballara, and every week I meet with real estate investors and mindset specialists that are taking action in order to build a life according to their own terms. We will break down what drives successful people and allows them to achieve at such a high level. If you are a professional wanting to break through, or simply someone that wants to hear an inspiring story, the Know Your Why podcast is made for you.